If you have a copy of your Bible, either a printed copy like I have here or a digital copy on your phone, let me encourage you to hold it up and repeat with me what we believe about this book. This is God's Word. It is a perfect treasure of divine instruction. It has God for its author, salvation for its end, and truth without any mixture of error for its matter. It is the supreme source of truth for what we believe and how we live. Now, open up your copy of God's Word with me to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. I want you to imagine an eight-year-old boy. He's been enrolled in music lessons by his parents. Every day he sits in his room and he reluctantly strums home on the range on his guitar while he looks out the window and watches all the other kids in the neighborhood play. He is miserable. But imagine that an angel appears to that same eight-year-old boy and the angel takes him to Carnegie Hall. And there in Carnegie Hall is this room filled with people, thousands and thousands of people, and they're listening to this guitar player who is amazing. They are mesmerized by his music. The boy is amazed by this musician, and he thinks how good he is, and then he thinks about himself and how clumsy he is as he tries to play the guitar. And then the angel looks at the little boy and said, that's you in the future. If you'll only be disciplined and make a habit of practicing every day. Over the next six weeks, we're going to talk about six habits that I believe really can change your life. Now, the dictionary defines a habit as an acquired mode of behavior that has become nearly or completely involuntary. It is acquired because of frequent repetition. In other words, we do it often and it becomes second nature to us. It's something that we do without even thinking about it. Now, here's what I've learned. Our daily habits will either make us or break us, depending on what those daily habits are. We can have good habits or we can have bad habits, but the habits that we do every day are going to make us or break us. Now, there are a lot of good habits that we could talk about in this series that the truth of the matter is we don't have the time to talk about them. For instance, our eating habits. I think we all know that, that it's better to eat healthy. In our day and age of processed foods, it's probably a lot better to eat whole foods. We know we should eat certain things and not eat other things. That's a good habit. We don't have time to talk about that. We all know that we need to stay active. We need to either walk or run or go to the gym. A, a body in motion will stay in motion, but a body at rest is going to become fat and unhealthy. We, we know that, but we don't have time to talk about that habit. I think if we're married, we know that, that dating our spouse regularly is a good thing. It's good to make it a habit of going out with your spouse, spending quality time with them where you're putting them first. 
We know that, but we don't have time to talk about that habit. The the habits that we're going to talk about for the next six weeks, I believe, really do make an eternal difference in our life. They don't just make a, a lifelong difference. They make an eternal difference. And the first habit I want us to look at is is the habit of prayer. And so if your Bible is open to Romans chapter 12, I want to read verse 12. And I'm going to read this from the Phillips translation. This is a translation that we don't often quote, but, but I really do believe that the Phillips translation gives the heart of this text. And listen to what it says. It says, base your happiness on your hope in Christ. When trials come, endure them patiently. Steadfastly maintain the habit of prayer. Now Paul begins by telling us that our happiness isn't based upon what we have. It's not even based on what's happening to us. But rather our happiness is based on our hope in Christ. You see, if we live our lives with the perspective that this world is all there is, we will end up disappointed regardless of how much we have regardless of how long we live because we're never going to have enough we're never going to live long enough if we really are holding on to those things to be happy so Paul tells us that our happiness is not based on those things it's based upon the hope that we have in Christ and then he tells those of us who are believers to get prepared because trials are coming And if we want to maintain happiness in the midst of trials, then we must steadfastly maintain the habit of prayer. The Apostle Paul is saying if you're going to make it when the difficult times of life come and you're going to maintain that happy spirit that comes from God, the only way that you're going to do that is to maintain the habit of prayer. Now, when I was growing up, our family prayed regularly. I I don't know if we prayed every night regularly, but we prayed regularly. My dad would get the open windows, a little devotional book, and he'd read the, the verse from there, and we'd read the little devotional, and then we would pray as a family. But when I got saved, I wanted to pray. And you may think this is odd, but as a nine-year-old boy, I began to pray every single night. I wanted to pray. I'd kneel by my bed and I'd pray. Now, I'd pray for my family. I'd pray for my friends. I would pray that I would live a life that, that pleased God. Some of you have heard me say this before. I even prayed for the devil. I prayed for the devil to get saved because I knew, man, if the devil gets saved, it's going to be better for everybody. And so I'd pray for the devil to be saved. I didn't have good theology, but I had a good heart. I knew that that would make everything better. But unfortunately, I didn't maintain that habit of prayer as I got older. And I am convinced today that one of the main reasons that the enemy almost sabotaged my life is because I wasn't maintaining that habit of prayer. Now let me say something. I want you to listen I've never regretted spending time in prayer. But I've often regretted not spending time in prayer. Let me say that again. I've never regretted spending time in prayer. I've never spent some time in prayer, whether it be 10 minutes or 30 minutes or an hour, and got through and said, boy, that was a waste of time. I wish I could have that hour back. I've never done that. 
But many times in my life, I've looked back and I've said, man, I wish I would have spent more time in prayer. Now, the Bible makes it clear that, that prayer is so important that Jesus made it his habit to pray. Now, I want you to hear that. If Jesus, the Son of God, God in the flesh, knew the importance of spending time with the Father, then how much more do you and I need to spend time with the Father? Jesus was sinless in his flesh. We're sinful in our flesh. And yet Jesus knew he needed to spend time with the Father. Let me give you some verses. Matthew 14, 23, after sending them home, he went up into the hills by himself to pray. Night fell while he was there alone. So he prayed. Night came and he was still there praying. Luke 16, verse 12, one day soon after where Jesus went up on a mountain to pray, he prayed to God all night, all night. Mark 1, 35, before daybreak the next morning, Jesus got up, went out to an isolated place to pray. Luke 5, verse 16, but Jesus often withdrew to the wilderness for prayer. Now these verses teach us not only the importance of prayer, but that we should set aside specific times and places for prayer. Jesus prayed at night. He prayed through the night. He prayed early in the morning. He got alone by himself and he prayed. When Jesus was teaching us in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus said, but when you pray, go away by yourself. Shut the door behind you and pray to your father. The King James says, go into your closet and pray. That's where we get that term prayer closet. And we get off by ourselves, away from all the distractions of the world and we pray. Now here's what I've discovered. If I want a habit of prayer, I have to set aside a time and a place each day to pray. I've got to have a prayer closet if I'm going to pray. Now, the time and the place may vary depending on your situation, depending on your schedule, but I believe if you're going to keep a consistent prayer time, you've got to set aside a time and a place and make that place as sacred as you possibly can. So we should have a specific time and place to pray. But the Bible also teaches us that we should maintain a spirit of prayer. In Luke chapter 18, Jesus said we should always pray and, and never give up. The Apostle Paul said in 1 Thessalonians 5, never stop praying. There are times that we don't have time to get into the prayer closet. There are things that come up during the day that warrant our prayers and they aren't during that scheduled time of prayer. This is where we maintain a spirit of prayer. This past Monday night, like many of you, I was watching that football game with my son and his wife and my daughter and her husband and my wife, and, and we were all mesmerized as we watched what was going on on the TV as, as, as Hamlin had, had that cardiac arrest. And as we realized that this was a life and death situation, there in that moment, I prayed for him as did millions of other people. I, I didn't wait until the next morning. 
I prayed for him in that moment. That's when he needed my prayers. Yesterday, my wife was speaking at an event outside of Charlotte, and about 3.40, she texted me and said, I'm about to speak. Will you pray for me? I, I didn't say, honey, I'm not in the prayer closet. I'm sorry. I'll pray tomorrow morning. No, I, I immediately, when I got that text, stopped what I was doing, and I prayed for her. And then I texted her, and I let her know that I had just prayed for her. You see, we need to have times where we get alone at that specific time, specific place, and we pray, but we also need to maintain that spirit of prayer. We need to have communication lines open with God so at any time, at any place, in any moment, we can pray about the things that are going on. Now, Jesus was so consistent in his prayer life that when Jesus' disciples asked Jesus to teach them one thing, they asked that he would teach them to pray. Now, that blows my mind. Jesus was an amazing teacher, an amazing preacher, a proclaimer of the word. And they didn't say, Lord, teach us to proclaim the word like you. Jesus was a miracle worker. But they didn't say, Lord, teach us to do miracles. They said, Lord, teach us to pray. The one thing they said, Lord, teach us to do, pray. Luke chapter 11, verse 1, it says, Once Jesus was in a certain place praying, notice that, his disciples were watching him pray. One of the disciples came to him and said, Lord, teach us to pray. And it was after this that Jesus gave us what we call the Lord's Prayer. It's not really the Lord's Prayer. It's a model prayer. It's a, it's a plan that we can follow but Jesus wasn't praying this prayer. Jesus prayed a prayer in, in John 17. We're going to talk about that as we head into the Easter season, that passage where Jesus prayed to the Father. But this was a model prayer that Jesus was giving them, teaching them how to pray. Now, now listen to what he said. Jesus said, pray like this. Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today the food we need. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who have sinned against us. Don't let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. Now notice the very first thing Jesus taught here as he was teaching his disciples to pray. Pray. He told them that prayer flows out of a relationship. Jesus said, when you pray, pray our Father. You see, when we pray, we're not praying to a stranger out on the street. We're not praying to someone we don't have a relationship with, someone we don't know. We're praying to our Father. We have to have a relationship with the Father before we can pray to the Father. But we need to understand something else about this. You see, God isn't some untouchable God in some reachable place. He is our Heavenly Father, and He wants us to come to Him. And we see through this that, that prayer is simply a conversation with our Heavenly Father. There are many people that say, I just don't know how to pray. And I say, do you know how to talk? If you know how to talk, you know how to pray because prayer is just talking and then taking some time to listen to God. As a matter of fact, if you're trying to figure out all of these cool spiritual words to use, you're probably one of those people that Jesus talked about in Matthew chapter 6. 
that babble and are praying so that other people will think they're all that and more. No, God wants you to pray to him just like you were talking to your very best friend or just like you were a young child and you went and jumped up into your father's lap to talk to your father and tell him about your day. And what we see here is that prayer ushers us into the presence of God and it unleashes the power of God. Let me say that again. You need to hear that. It's prayer that ushers us into God's presence. And it's prayer that unleashes God's power. I believe with all my heart, the most powerful weapon that we have at our disposal today as children of God is prayer. There's tremendous power in prayer. Wayne Watson sang a song years ago entitled, When God's People Pray. The, the chorus goes like this. He said, he will not turn away when his people pray. When God's people pray and take the pains of earth to the doors of heaven, when God's people pray, there is hope reborn, there is sin forgiven, and miracles you can't explain away when God's people pray. Ian Bow said something I think we all need to hear. He said, prayer can do anything God can do. The pity is we do not believe that as we ought and we do not put it to the test. There's power in prayer that we aren't experiencing today simply because we're not praying the way God has taught us to pray. Prayer can change lives. Prayer can restore marriages. Prayer can set the captive free. Prayer can shake up a nation. But here's what I've discovered for me personally. If I just sit down and start praying, I'm all over the place. I mean, I lose focus. Does anyone else have that problem? I mean, it happens to me often. I'm, if, if, I don't, if I don't have a pattern, a plan to follow, man, I'll start praying and all of a sudden I'm thinking about what I'm going to do. I'm thinking about what I'm going to eat. I'm thinking about all kinds of things. And all of a sudden I realize, wait a second, I'm supposed to be praying. And, and I'm all over the place. And I believe with all my heart, that's one of the reasons that God gives us this model prayer because he has given us kind of a pattern, a plan that we can follow as we pray. Then I want to give you my pattern, my, my plan, if I can. It comes, I think, from the model prayer. And I certainly didn't come up with this plan. I want you to know that. But it's the one that I use because it helps me. So I begin my prayer time with praise. And praise is simply expressing my love to God. The Bible says it this way. It says we're to enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. We give thanks to him and we praise his name. Now praising God is simply boasting on him, bragging about him. So the Bible says that we enter God's presence bragging on him not because he's a God who needs our praise but rather he's a God that deserves our praise amen and there are two reasons that we praise God from this passage in Psalms 100 first we praise him for who he is his attributes his nature and so when I'm praising God this way I praise God that he is my creator in the beginning God created that he is the sovereign Lord, 
that he is righteous and holy, sinless above the evil and the wickedness of this world, that he is all-powerful and all-knowing, that he is faithful and good and just and loving. He's forgiving and merciful and patient, and oh, I need his patience. He is Savior. He is my healer. He is my provider, my protector, my deliverer, my friend. And as you read through the Bible, you can find all kind of descriptions of God, and you can use those things to praise him for who he is. But then I also praise him for what he has done. The Bible says every good gift and every perfect gift comes from God. And so when we praise God for what he has done, we're thanking him for his blessings. We're recognizing that everything good in my life is a gift from God. And so I thank him for salvation because I wasn't saved because I deserved it or earned it or worked for it. It was a gift that was given to me by him. I thank him for his indwelling Holy Spirit that lets me know that I'm a child of God, that, that guides me and directs me as I walk through life. I thank him for my wife. I thank him for my kids, my, my family. I thank him for my health. I mean, I, I may have health problems, but man, I can get up and my feet can touch the ground every morning and I can get out of my house and I can walk. I'm much healthier than a lot of people. I thank God for that. I thank God for the financial provisions that he has blessed me with. I thank him that he has allowed me to pastor such a wonderful church. I thank him that, that he never leaves me. He never forsakes me. So I enter his presence with thanksgiving, his courts with praise. I praise him. That's number one. After I do that, I repent. I ask God to forgive my sins. You see, the Bible makes it clear that our sins separate us from God. And unconfessed sin can keep God from hearing our prayers. You need to hear that. Our sins separate us from God. And unconfessed sin will keep God from hearing our prayers. Let me give you just several verses. Three. Psalm 66, verse 18. If I had not confessed the sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. Sin in the heart. Isaiah 59, 2. It's your sins that have cut you off from God. Because of your sins, he has turned away and will not listen. John chapter 9, verse 31. We know that God doesn't listen to sinners, but he is ready to hear those who worship him and do his will. So how do I repent? Well, the first thing I do is I ask God to reveal any sin in my life. Now, there are days that I have where I know that I have sinned. I mean, I've said something, I've done something, and that's sin. I know it's sin. It could be an attitude, it could be a thought, it could be a word, it could be a deed. There are days that I know that I've sinned. But there are other days that I know I have a sinful flesh, I have a sinful nature, but I, I, don't, I, I can't think of anything that I've done that's sinful. And so I ask God to show me. The psalmist said in Psalm 139, Search me, O God, know my heart, test me, know my anxious thoughts, point out anything in me that offends you, 
lead me along the path of everlasting life. And let me tell you, when I do that, not every time, but often when I ask God, search me, show me anything that's displeasing to you, and I sit still and I listen. You see, prayer isn't just talking, prayer is listening. And I sit still and listen. God brings things to my mind. So I ask God to search me and reveal anything that's displeasing him. Second, I admit my sin to him. When God shows me something that's sin, or I know something that's sin based upon his word, I, I confess it to him, I admit it. The psalmist said this, he said, Finally, I confessed all my sins to you. I stopped trying to hide my guilt. I said to myself, I will confess my rebellion to the Lord, and you forgave me. My guilt is gone. When we confess our sins, we don't try to justify our sin. We don't try to make excuses for our sin. We just confess it. Transparency here. There, there have been times in my life where Sherry and I are on a different page. And when we get on that different page, tension begins to come into our relationship. You, you understand that, right? Get on a different page, tension comes. If you don't deal with the tension and resolve the tension, then that tension turns into a problem. And your relationship is not where it needs to be. Now, that's happened to us. I'm sure it's happened to each of you who are married. Now, when that happens to me, oftentimes I feel pretty good about where I'm at in this. I mean, I feel like I'm being... Mr. Husband, like I need to be. And I'll go out and I'll pray because I'm ticked at her. And I'm praying, I'm praying, Lord, just open her eyes and help her see. <laughs> y'all are laughing like y'all have never prayed anything like that. You bunch of liars. I mean, I'll pray that. And the Lord, honest to goodness, I, I kid you not, the Lord through his spirit speaks to me. And says, you let me worry about Sherry. What about you? And I go, what about me, Lord? And God will reveal to me. It may be that my attitude was wrong. I, I may be perfectly right in what I've said, but the way I've said it's been wrong. And God saying, you're not being that loving husband that is treating her as the weaker vessel like I've told you to. You need to go back to her and ask her to forgive you. Now, when God tells me that, I could say, well, I'm not doing that, God. Or I could say, God, you're right. You're right. I can't change her. Only you can. But I can change what you've told me I need to change. You see, we confess it. We admit it to God. Third thing we do is we alter our conduct. It's not enough to admit that something's sin. We've got to turn from it. Uh, the Bible says in the book of Acts, now repent of your sin and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out. And once you turn from that sin, whatever it may be, you accept God's forgiveness. 1 John 1, 9 says, but if we confess our sins to him, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all of our wickedness. Here's what I believe with all my heart. Repentance removes the barriers that hinder God from hearing me. That's why it's so important that we spend time searching our heart as we pray. 
So I begin with praise. I praise God for who he is, what he's done for me. I repent. I ask God to reveal anything in my life that's displeasing to him. I acknowledge it. I confess it. I seek to make it right. And I receive his forgiveness. And once I do that, then I am ready to ask. I am ready to ask God to do specific things or meet specific needs in my life. Now, you may not realize this, but throughout Scripture, God tells us to ask Him for things. It's not like we go to God kind of, you know, um, embarrassing God, I hate to ask you this. No, God tells us, ask me. In Matthew chapter 7, Jesus said, keep on asking and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking and the door will be open to you. Now let me give you what I do, if I may. And I'm going to keep this short for the sake of time. But I begin with myself as I go into this asking. Now you may say, well, Rocky, that's kind of selfish starting with yourself. Well, I don't think so. Remember the prayer of Jabez? We talked about this last week. If you were here, if you're not, go back and listen to it. But Jabez prayed, Lord, bless me indeed. Enlarge my territory. May your hand be upon me. Keep me from evil. If I am going to be the husband, if I'm going to be the father, if I'm going to be the poppy, if I'm going to be the pastor, if I'm going to be the neighbor I need to be, I need to start by praying for me and the things that I need in my life. And so let me just give you some of the things I pray regularly for. Yes, I write these down because I think they're important. I believe God gave them to me, and I want to make sure I pray these every day. I pray that the Lord will fill me anew with his Holy Spirit. I pray that he will guide me as I walk through the day. I pray that he will heal me of my sickness or disease or pain. I ask that he will give me clarity of mind. I ask him to give me wisdom as I open his word. I pray that he will give me boldness and love as I seek to share my faith. I pray that he will give me direction as I pastor. I pray that he will give me love for people. I pray that I will be the husband, the father, the poppy that I need to be for my family. So I start with me. Then I pray for my family. I begin with my wife. I pray specifically for things that are going on in her life. Then I pray for each of my children and their spouses, what they're doing, what they're going through. Then I pray for each of my grandchildren by name. I pray specific prayers for them. Then I pray for my mother. I pray for my mother and father-in-law. I pray for my brother and his family. I pray for my sister-in-law and her family. For each of them, I'm praying different things at times, but I'm praying for them. So I pray for family. Then I pray for salvation. I've got a list of people I'm praying for. Some of them are family. Some of them are friends. Some of them are children of friends that I'm praying to be saved. Some are neighbors that I'm praying that they will be saved. But I pray regularly that God will open their eyes, remove the blinders, that God would touch their heart and soften their heart to the Holy Spirit. I pray that God would take the chains off of them and set them free. And then I pray for our staff. I pray for our staff, their spouses, and their children. I, I pray for our church members. Now, I don't pray for you every day. I would be praying 24 hours a day. 
because we've got, there's a lot of you. And I, but I pray for you um, sporadically through the year, mentioning you by name. I pray for the ministries that are going on in our church family. I pray for the marriages in our church and the children in our church. And I pray for our, my neighbors. I pray that I'll be a good neighbor. I pray for their marriages. And I pray that they'll come to know Jesus if they're not saved. I pray that God would give me the opportunity to minister to them and open the doors of opportunity for me to share the hope that I have because of Jesus. I pray for our mission partners, like the one that we prayed about this morning, but I pray for them by name. I pray for our nation. I pray for our president and our vice president. I pray for our house, our speaker of the house, the, the um, president of the senate. I pray for our educational system. I pray for the border. I pray that we will have a border that is loving to those who need to come in, but is secure to those who need to stay out. I pray that abortion will be removed from our land. I pray that the exploitation of children will be a thing of the past in our land. I pray for our educational system. Then I pray for the sick. I pray that God heals. And you say, Rocky, do you pray that God heals? Yeah. And until they die, or until God tells me not to pray anymore, or they're healed, I keep on praying for them. Let me just tell you right now, I'm praying in faith, believing that God's going to heal my back. I still have back pain. But it, God hadn't told me to quit praying about it. And I believe that he's going to heal my back. Now, there may be some things I need to do in, in, um, in um, um, combined with what God does, but, but I believe God's going to heal my back and so I pray for the sick and then finally I pray for revival because revival is our only hope now you may ask what kind of things can you ask God for and the answer is anything you can ask God for anything you can ask God for everything that is on your heart but here's the key we must pray according to God's will if we want our prayers to be answered in first John chapter 5 it says we're confident that he hears us whenever we ask for anything that pleases him or is in accordance with his will and since we know he hears us when we make our requests we also know that he will give us what we ask for and so you ask God and then finally this leads to the third thing we yield I submit myself to God's purpose and God's will for my life do you remember what Jesus said we were to pray your kingdom come your will be done. Do you remember what Jesus prayed when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane before he went to the cross? He said, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. You see, submitting to God's will, surrendering to God's will is saying, God, I trust you. I want you to hear this. If you don't hear anything else, prayer is not about getting God to do what I want but rather discovering and then wanting what God wants. Why? Because God is God. God is good. And God knows better than I do what is good for me. And when I yield, I submit to his will, whatever that may be, is saying, God, I trust you because you're God and I'm not. Now, let me ask you a question. If prayer is so important, then why is it so difficult to maintain it as a habit? Would you agree? Raise your hand if you say, man, it's hard for me to maintain the habit of prayer. If it's hard for you to maintain the habit of prayer, raise your hand. 
most of us, the rest of us need to go and repent. <laughs> Maybe not. You, you, may be, you, may be, you may be there. Praise God for you prayer warriors. But for me, man, of all the habits, this is the one I struggle with maintaining. It, it really is. Why is that? I mean, we, we feel like we're too busy. We feel like it doesn't really make a difference. Why is it that it's so hard to maintain the habit of prayer? Here's what I believe. The reason is because prayer is spiritual warfare. When we pray, we're battling against the powers of darkness. That's why the enemy, Satan, will allow you to maintain any of these habits as long as you don't maintain the habit of prayer. Because, listen, all of these habits you need to have, but if you have all of these habits but you aren't maintaining the habit of prayer, you're doing it in your power. You're doing it in the flesh. You're seeing what you can do for God rather than what God can do in you and through you. When the Apostle Paul was talking about spiritual warfare and in Ephesians chapter 6, and he said, well, you wrestle not against flesh and blood. And, and he told us that we need to put on the full armor of God. He finished that up in verse 18 by saying these words. Pray in the Spirit at all times on every occasion. Stay alert. Be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. Prayer is spiritual warfare. And just like none of us really want to go to war, it's hard to pray because prayer is war. And so the enemy is trying to get us not to pray. Now let me leave you with this. Sometimes we pray and we wait. And we pray and we wait. And we pray and we wait. If I had it my way, when I started praying for my back, my back wouldn't be hurting anymore. But my back still hurts after two surgeries. And so I'm praying, trusting, believing, and I'm waiting. I'm praying, trusting, believing, and I'm waiting. And until God tells me to quit praying or, or God heals me, I'm going to pray and wait. So sometimes we pray and wait. Sometimes we pray and do. We pray and God says, this is what you need to do. You see, sometimes we, we make the excuse that, you know, I'm just trusting God to do this. You know, we don't have money. We need more money, but we're sitting home not working. I'm just trusting God to provide. Well, how many jobs have you, have you applied for? Maybe God's telling you to, you know, get out of the recliner and go apply for some jobs. And then get a job, and then maybe you can get a better job after you get a job. Newsflash. It's easier to get a job if you have a job. Sometimes we pray and we do. Okay? And then sometimes we pray and we see. I mean, we pray and immediately God answers the prayer. We pray and, and we get a phone call that someone's out of the hospital. We pray and we hear about this friend that we have been praying for, their marriage, and man, they're, they're, they're restored. They're, they're doing well. We've been praying for someone who is enslaved in an addiction, and we hear that God has set them free. We, we pray and we see. But that's not always the case. Sometimes we pray and God says you need to do this. Sometimes we pray and we wait and we wait and we wait until we see the answer and we continue to pray. And so what do I want you to do today? 
I want you to make a commitment to pray. If you want God to show up in your life in 2023, make a commitment to pray. That's the number one commitment I'm making because I, I, I could sit down and I could sit down and read the Word for hours. I love reading the Word. I, I don't have a problem generously and sacrificially using my money for God's glory. I don't have a problem with that. I, I enjoy that. I, I feel like God blesses so that I can bless. Gathering, that's pretty, pretty easy for me since i got to be here. Sharing my faith. I struggle with that some, but man, I, that's, man, I just, I, I love to do that. Scheduling. That's probably my number two. <laughs> but pray. Just being transparent. I get up early and I spend time in the Word. And then I look at my watch and go, man, I got to get going. And all of a sudden, I haven't taken the time to bring those needs before the throne of God. And I end up operating in my power rather than his power. I got to tell you, I don't want to do that in 2023. And I don't want you to do that in 2023. I want you to experience the supernatural power of God. And the only way is through prayer. The only way. The only way. And so I want you to make a commitment to pray. Now maybe for some of you, that's foreign because you don't have a relationship with God. He's not your Heavenly Father. And I would say to you, hey, there's nothing more important today than establishing a relationship with the Father. He sent His Son Jesus to die on the cross for your sins. He defeated sin by being resurrected from the grave. And if you will only humble yourself and accept Him as your Savior and Lord, He will change your life. But if you're here and you're a child of God, there's nothing more important than make a commitment to establish the habit of prayer in 2023. So I want you to bow your head with me. I'm going to pray. We're going to open up our altar, and I'm going to simply ask you to come and make a commitment. Make a commitment to establish the habit of prayer in 2023 so that we can be a house of prayer and a people of prayer. Father God, we've seen what we can do. Now make us a people of prayer so we can see what you can do. Amen. Stand with me.